welcome to the Weekly Skeptic, episode 45. I'm Nick Dixon, just about here with Toby Young. And coming up, the mystery BBC presenter is Biden stepping down, and Tucker interviews the top G, plus loads more stories. And of course, peak woke. And Toby, I say I'm just about here because I am ill this week and I have to apologize for the podcast coming out a day later. Uh, I said it was because I was ill, but also because you were away. Then people said to me, well, how did he do his other podcast then? But you wanted to change that. It was all very complicated. But basically, guys, I've been ill and I've been uh, sick and um, I'm still ill and I'm just doing my best. I didn't eat for 60 hours, which is quite a long time. And I'm just going to do my best. So, you know, it might not be my usual incredibly high standards. Uh, but should we start with this BBC presenter, Toby? That, that again, I've, I've sort of not followed as much as I would have if I was well, because when you haven't eaten for a couple of days, some of the culture war stuff fades away a bit and seems a bit less important. Like I haven't I got enough calories in me to care about this, but obviously it is a massive story. I don't know if we're allowed to name the person yet. Everyone knows who it is, but I'll defer to you on the, the legal side of it. And basically it came out that they had paid a teenager quite a lot of money for pictures, sort of sexual pictures, nude pictures or something. And then this allegedly was going to fund the teenager's crack cocaine habit. And then there was a follow-up story that they had met another person on a dating site, another young person, and eventually met them during lockdown rules. And I thought, now this is now they're going to take this case seriously. Now that he's broken the lockdown rules that you're not allowed to break, especially if there was any cake involved, if anyone ate a cake, if there was an eye test, then it gets very serious because otherwise they'd probably try and cover this up. But, uh, but once you've broken lockdown rules, now you're really in trouble. What have you made of this BBC star scandal, Toby? The reason it's become such a big story, I think, um, uh, is because um, it speaks to um, uh, the BBC's um, uh, legitimacy. Um, how, how? Why did they wait so long? Uh, why did the BBC? Why did BBC managers wait so long before um, asking this presenter to take a leave of absence? I don't think they even suspended him initially. Um, uh, I think the the, the mother of the young man contacted the BBC more than two months ago um, to, to, to make a complaint. And, and she claims that all she wanted was for him to kind of stop sending her son money in return for these pictures because he was using it to fund his crack habit. Um, and the BBC took a while to respond to her. Um, they didn't asked the presenter to take a leave of absence or whatever. They didn't think they actually suspended him. Maybe they have now. Um, uh, uh, until, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and uh, the BBC seems to be in kind of full-blown headless chicken mode, doesn't quite know how to respond. Um, and uh, they've been accused of kind of circling the wagons to protect one of their own. Um, and, of course, it kind of harks back to the Jimmy Savile scandal, not that there's, I don't think, any suggestion in this case that the presenter in question has um, uh, had had sex or solicited images from someone under sixteen. Um, but um, yeah, so it's sort of it's it's bad news for the BBC, I think, and um, generally undermines public trust in the BBC, which was pretty low to begin with, and um, puts the BBC in a difficult position, given that it's funded by the taxpayer. Yeah, do you think there's anything about... Oh, and by the way, in terms of legal soft targets, I've heard that Victoria Derbyshire could be in a bit of trouble for seeming to perhaps let the name slip on TV, so she might be in trouble and hopefully get sued before us. Um, what is it about BBC presenters, Toby, that just do this kind of thing? Is it just... 
is it that they they have so much money from the taxpayer they just they just start to think they're completely untouchable or is it actually there's nothing about them it's just that there's a certain number of people that are, are just wrong in life and a certain number of them happen to work for the BBC and there's no is there any causal link between being a wrong and being a BBC <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I mean I suppose um, it'd be interesting I, I've never seen you know a proper um analysis a forensic analysis of whether let's say you know let's say you broadened the um uh treatment group to include celebrities um uh, do celebrities are they more likely to kind of uh, commit sex crimes than the general population um uh, it's an interesting question you certainly get that impression and um people who've become famous in virtue of their uh, connection to the BBC do seem to be a kind of subcategory uh, who seem to be pretty bad offenders. I mean, I, I don't know. Um, I'd have to, we'd have to actually do the analysis. I don't think we can base it on kind of anecdotal evidence alone, but the anecdotal evidence is pretty damning. Yeah, I felt bad for any, because they said, well, the, the presenter won't appear on the channel now. And so I felt bad for any presenter just ha- who happened to be on holiday and having to sort of say, hey, I'm not, I'm not um, soliciting pictures and doing crack with minors i'm just on i'm just in marbella you know what i mean that's like a, a if you were away and then people started saying it was ryland just you know and people said it was jeremy vine and people having to come out and say no it's not me very tricky and i was of course off gb with this stomach bug so i but because it's gb i didn't have to say guys i'm not a total creep <laughs> messaging someone for nude and doing crack cocaine because it's gb news where we don't have that kind of thing told me yeah yeah, I mean, so far, I don't think there's been a sex scandal involving a GB News presenter, but um, give it time. Um, but yes. uh, it yeah, could yeah, be Lewis say, uh, <laughs> Another dimension to this story is that because the BBC aren't naming the individual in question, and because he hasn't been publicly outed yet, um, uh, all these middle-aged male, highly paid BBC presenters um, are having to kind of publicly sort of ha- having to kind of deny that it's them on Twitter. Um, so yeah, a slew of them have denied that it's them. And then of course, the finger of suspicion points towards those who haven't yet issued anything saying it isn't them. Um, and it's, you know, it feels like it's slightly irresponsible of the BBC to, um, you know, cast suspicion over almost their entire stable of male presenters because they haven't yet identified the person who it actually is. Yeah, and Jeremy Vine was saying, well, they should come forward and identify themselves. I mean, as if they're going to, why would they do that? But then Richard Bacon, your friend, was saying, stop it. You're more emotionally intelligent than this. We don't know the complexities of what his family are going through or what dark thoughts are running through his head, irrespective of what he's done wrong. You can walk off people wrongly guessing it's you for five minutes. It's not particularly pleasant for people thinking it's you, though. I don't hear a denial in there. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> have a bit of sympathy for this geezer, guys. Yeah, who knows what he's going through? Yeah, that's a slightly, uh, I guess, predictable, but predictably odd reaction from Richard Bacon. I'm not for a second suggesting it is, in fact, Richard Bacon because the presenter in question has been described as a household name. Wow. Shots fired from Toby. But, of course, <laughs> let's remember Richard Bacon did call him stupid last week. Though Toby didn't even know who Bacon was, just to recap on last week. And um, yeah, sorry for reading out a tweet, by the way. A review told me off for reading out tweets 
the um, Twitter exchanges that have already happened. So now the listeners told me want me to re- read out things that haven't even happened yet in the future. Of course, I'm going to recap things that have happened in the week, guys. I mean, people have no idea the preparation that goes into this podcast and, and the work. There's this little little rant there that we can get into later. I'm, I'm ill, so I'm in but a bad I, mood, and I'm just like, people don't appreciate this. But, but maybe maybe that's a good idea for a section during Birdwatch. We could sort of stick an addendum onto Birdwatch of things things on Twitter people haven't yet said, but we predict they're going to say next week. <laughs> We'd have a little sweepstakes, see who gets, see who makes the more accurate prediction. Yeah, I think it's a useful way to recap because as if our listeners, who are normal people with jobs and businesses, have time to just be reading through Twitter like I do. So I recap exchanges that have happened during the week. I don't see any problem with that, but there is nothing that a podcast reviewer can't nitpick. Toby, this is what I've learned. Anyway, unless you want to say any more on that, I might move on to good old GB News because it seems we've sort of That's dealt with thing. that BBC shenanigans. Um, we, it's, yeah, it's, it's what it is, a classic BBC. So GB News, again, were boycotted. So it was GB News targeted by green activists in boycott campaign is how the Telegraph put it. And this was Grind, a network of cafes with 14 outlets across London. And they cancelled all future spend with GB. This came about because some numpty from Stop Funding Heat which is the kind of bastard child of the already bastard-esque stop funding hate. So it's now spawning little sub little little demon children of its own. So you've got stop funding hate, now you've got stop funding heat. And they said, hi, Grind. We're sorry to say that your advertising has been spotted showing up on GB News. Surely this isn't the kind of channel you want to be aligned with. And then they replied, we'd like to thank you for bringing this to our attention. Needless to say, we've pulled all future spend from GB News. It was just one tweet, was it? And um, what was quite comical when we covered this on GB was that the C- CEO of Grind has actually been on GB News. So he apparently wasn't that against it when he was physically on the channel. But now he's so against it, he has to pull all future spend. And this is a big problem we keep having. Just advertisers are so weak and it's so easy for them to pull out. And there's now this huge disparity between the, the reach of GB News, which is growing all the time, and the kind of the, 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 the people loving GB News, the viewing figures... And the advertising, which we which we still massively struggle with, because of this weird virtue signaling boycotting from from woke corporations who want to censor people's free speech, and as Michelle Juby said, suggests that their pound is not worth as much as everyone else's. What do you think, Tom? Yeah, well, just just explain what was the rationale behind stop funding heat asking Grind not to advertise? Is it because other um, uh, energy companies? advertise on GB News or uh, GB News has got a relationship with Big Oil or something? No, the, the, the thing I saw, and I don't have it in front of me right now, but I can find it, it is they, they'd screenshotted Dan Wooden's show and it was just something Dan was saying that was controversial. And they said, is this the kind of thing you want to be associated with? So my impression was it was just, it, it may have been sort of so-called climate denialism. Yeah, it, it may have been that. It was... But it was I got the impression it was the general tone of GB News, but perhaps particularly in reference to climate because it was stop funding heat. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to do very much in order to be uh, damned as a climate change denier, do you? Did you see that clip which went viral of uh, it was it was um, a spokesperson seemingly for Just Stop Oil and they were supposed to be discussing the um, disruption by Just Stop Oil of George Osborne's wedding last weekend. Um, and um, our friend Constantine was in the studio, but didn't really get a word in edgewise. And it was mainly kind of Ed Bulls and Susanna trying to get a straight answer out of this absolutely dotty 
just stop oil spokesperson, but one of the persons, she said that she, in justification of um, Just Stop Oil's protest at George Osborne's wedding, she described George Osborne as a leading climate change denier. I mean, it's like, wow. that's like describing Greta Thunberg as a leading climate change denier. I mean, he couldn't be more, you know, on message when it comes to climate change. Um, he was part of a government that completely bought into the, um, you know, Just Stop Oil net zero agenda. The Tories passed the Net Zero Act, which committed us to net zero by 2050. Uh, admittedly, was under Theresa May and George Osborne left the, left the government by then. But I mean, to describe George Osborne as a climate change denier just seemed to be, well, God, what, what, what can you possibly do to satisfy these echo zealots that you're not a climate change denier? I mean, you know, it's not enough to, to, to pass all these acts, to introduce all these regulations, to appear on platforms, you know, at, at international climate change conferences. I mean, you know, unless you unless you actually lie down in front of commuter traffic, you're a climate change denier. Yeah. And and you point out something to me there. In my illness, I failed to mention that. I would never normally slip up like that. Of course, I should have mentioned the protester, the Just Stop Oil protester, who threw the confetti over George Osborne at his wedding. And I said that they've done the impossible. They managed to make people sympathize with George Osborne, which is incredible. <laughs> Only Just Stop Oil can make themselves less popular than George Osborne. But one of the replies, you know, that woman was absolutely bizarre, as you say, on with Constantin. But one of the ways they justify it is saying that George Osborne has caused 300,000 deaths with austerity. So this is sort of classic kind of extreme lefty thinking. They just go, well, he's a, he's a killer. He's basically done a genocide. And then, of course, you can disrupt his wedding with some confetti. Whereas any sane person goes, it's a disgusting sort of a brooch of, of, a, of, a, of a private space. Or, or would you say of a public space? It's, it's, a complete, it's, a complete, it's crossing a line that we don't want crossed in society, obviously. Mm. And no matter what you think of Osborne. There were, also, the, the look on the woman's face as she threw this confetti, the sort of smug self-satisfaction was so sort of emblematic of just stop oil they think they're doing something yeah. great but really they've just had a complete moral bypass but in that face there was something chilling about it to me it was like this is where we are now you do something obviously bad and you're pleased with yourself and you're a sort of fairly you're a gray-haired w woman who should know better but it just has has had a humanity bypass yeah it, it and it does i think it's um it's 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 potent I mean it's it's quite alarming that um just stop oil seem to just be going further and further with each protest. I mean, it's as though there are fewer and fewer restraints on what they regard as permissible in order to advance their cause because they think they're saving the planet. They think they're saving humanity, saving all the creatures on God's earth. So if you think that that that, that what you're doing is is going to promote that agenda what what won't you stop at to promote that agenda? So it feels like uh, we're on the cusp of of seeing some really serious echo terrorism, um, uh, which is pretty alarming. Yeah, and, and and my question is, where will they protest next? Will they protest a funeral? You know, they'll say something like, "We all need to wake up, or we'll all be dead." Not just whoever this guy is in the coffee. You know, there'll be like there'll be funeral protests. My my theory is, Extinction Rebellion might protest. Um, they might protest carry. Carrie Johnson's womb for just pumping out too many children because, you know, children are bad for the climate. I mean, what what can't just stop oil protest? That's, my, that's a new segment that I'm suggesting. That's true. They could, they, they, could, they could, yeah, they could invade a maternity ward 
and um, you know try and d- disrupt the 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 pain relief regimen to try and discourage women from having children, something like that. Yes, I mean it's yeah. hard to imagine what Look they could do which that. would make them less sympathetic. But um, there was uh, there were a couple of other GB news stories. So there was the the booing of the poor. Um, uh, GB News executive who uh, was in Manchester to uh, MC this um, prize-giving awards ceremony in the advertising sector, and um, and she was kind of mercilessly barracked and booed predominantly by you know half-cut middle-aged men, um, and it was very like um, uh, Nigel Farage being barracked at the television awards a couple of weeks ago. Um, similar crowd, similar mood, quite aggressive, quite menacing. But the difference is, you know, Nigel Farage is a tough, you know, 59-year-old veteran of political warfare. This was, you know, a young woman. And it's a pretty bad look for people who are supposedly concerned about um, the negative impact of people on GB News, on vulnerable, disadvantaged populations because of all the hate speech or God knows what, um, uh, to then to kind of attack, you know, um, a defenseless young woman um, in a really aggressive kind of testosterone fueled way. Anyway, uh, I thought that was pretty sick making. Um, But uh, and then, of course, um, uh, Ofcom have um, come up with yet another reason to investigate GB News, which is GB News's um, Save Cash campaign which you would think would be pretty uncontroversial. And it, it, it hit home with me because um, uh, me and um, uh, um, Laura Dodsworth um, complained to Ofcom about a, a joint report by Sky News and the Nudge Unit on how to promote kind of net zero climate fundamentalism um, on television channels. And it was bragging about all the things Sky was doing to promote the environmentalist, eco-militant green agenda, such as, you know, in dramas, only having the male protagonist drive electronic vehicles and all the kind of messaging they were including stripped across all their news and current affairs output. They've got this new ticker now, you know, which shows supposedly... Um, uh, how much the climate is going up by in real time, like the kind of debt ticker in Times Square in New York, complete garbage. Um, but um, it, and we complained that this was, you know, this was this was um, a breach of the Ofcom broadcasting code because it was so overtly endorsing a politically contentious point of view. Um, uh, but no, we were we were batted away. Nothing to see here. No basis for a complaint go away. But someone's complained about GB News's promotion of, um, you know, keeping cash, um, which is much less politically contentious, I would have thought, than the net zero agenda. Um, and, um, and, and and Ofcom have immediately launched an investigation on the grounds that it's a breach of the broadcasting code to be doing something so overtly political. It just seems extraordinary. Yeah. Extraordinarily one-sided. That is extraordinary. And yeah, what's wrong with wanting to keep cash? And it does make you think it's a matrix attack they just want us all on the CD, what's it called? The Central Banking Digital Currency. Yeah, CBDC. I was too to get the, the phrase right. <laughs> yeah, but they, I didn't even attempt it. They all want us on that. They don't want us using cash. I mean, you know, why are off? Yeah, exactly. There's certain issues, as you highlight there, that seem to be more off consensitive or just certain channels. And yeah, we, we know the BBC can basically behave how they want versus GB. We're in trouble for everything. Yeah, Jacob Lee's Mark's in trouble. I mean, there's other things I don't even want to go into. There's all sorts of attacks on GB. It's shocking, isn't it? I mean, 
do you think GB will manage to weather all these storms, Toby? I mean, the fact that it's still boycotted so so effectively for advertising and is attacked constantly by Ofcom or by people complaining to Ofcom. What do you think? Well, I think it. Um, I think it can weather all these attacks. I mean, it, it obviously couldn't withstand um, Ofcom withdrawing its broadcasting license, and that seems to be the object of these campaigners. They want to. Um, they want to see Ofcom uphold so many complaints against GB that uh, eventually uh, they can petition Ofcom to withdraw GB News's broadcasting license. Uh, should very obviously it, could, it couldn't survive if that happened, not in its present form anyway. Um, and I can't see it easily switching to YouTube, given that YouTube just took down the interview between Jordan Peterson and RFK on the grounds that it was a breach of their community standards, even though RFK is a democratic. Um, presidential primary candidate. Um, but uh, uh, but I think provided GB News doesn't leave its bro- lose its broadcasting license, then um, it can survive so long as its kind of um, uh, billionaire backers uh, don't lose interest. And um, it doesn't look like they're going to, and nor would they be likely to as a result of these attacks, I don't think. I think they, they, the reason they're backing GB News and are prepared to uh, lose some money um, is because they think it's important that there should be you know, a range of voices um, in the British media and there should be a news channel out there that defends free speech. Yeah, the whole attempt is to just take out any, any dissident voices, any conservative views, because GB News in reality, and most of these people that complain don't even watch it, in reality, of course, has a range of views, lots of views I can't stand. It's it's a very liberal channel in that sense. But people just, they just simply want all dissent crushed, don't they, in this incredibly short-sighted way. Someone wrote the other day, or just some troll on Twitter, GB News employees deserve to be thrown in prison for the poison you puke into society. You are all vile, disgusting humans. And I just wrote, but apart from that, do you enjoy the channel? <laughs> because uh, <laughs> you've, got to, you've got to have a laugh with these people sometimes. But, you know, guessing this guy never watched it. He got dealt with after that, which is quite funny. He deleted it. But a lot of these people haven't even watched it. But it is interesting, though. Talk TV, Calvin McKenzie was claiming on Twitter, has only until Christmas to turn it around, Murdoch has said. We can't confirm this. It's just Calvin McKenzie tweeting that. I've got no idea if it's true. But that would be interesting. I mean, if they, you know, they, they really are struggling with numbers. Yeah, it may be true. I mean, Kelvin... Um, I don't know if he's still close to Rupert Murdoch, but he certainly used to be. Um, and Rupert Murdoch was in town very recently, he may still be in town, and um, had a party. Um, and um, various rumours um, were swirling about you know, what Murdoch is going to do next. And um, one rumour, of course, is that he's about to buy The Spectator for $80 million. Um, I don't know whether that's true or not. But yeah, another rumour was he's going to shut down um, talk TV. Um, so maybe he's going to take the savings from shutting down Talk TV and invest them in The Spectator, which from my point of view would be fantastic. Or invest them in GB News. Let's see. We'll have all kinds of people crawling back trying to get back on GB News. It's going to be even harder to keep my job, Toby, between all the Tory politicians and ex-Talk TV people. I'm not worried. Um, all right. Well, that's GB. Should we move on and do this story about the CPS? This is, I call this possibly the most insane story we'd ever covered on Headliners. And it was refusing to fund your partner's gender transition could be domestic abuse, says CPS. The Crown Prosecution Service have come out with this. They have nine types of behavior that could amount to abuse of trans or non-binary people. Famously, non-binary people aren't even a thing. And these include withholding money for transitioning, 
which would include either spouse refusing to pay for gender surgery, counseling, or other treatment in a way that amounted to coercive control or abuse. Other behaviors could be criticizing the victim for not being a real man or woman. Isn't this absolutely incredible? Or threatening to sh- or sharing pre-transition images or refusing to use their preferred name or pronoun. And this could get you done as a domestic abuser. And some people pointed to this person called Sophie Cook. She used to be a person called Steve, who's just a bloke called Steve, who was hired by the CPS as speak out champion, whatever this is. And this is a, a, a man now claiming to be a woman who's used phrases like turf or words like turf and wumucks. And I don't I've never know how you say that, but that thing with woman with an X, which is thought to be derogatory. And this, and some people have said, well, of course, the CPS is coming out with stuff like this now. What did you make of this story? Yeah, it was pretty shocking. Um, uh, I mean, it's one thing for woke activists to capture universities, museums, galleries, etc. You know, the commanding heights of the cultural economy, which they undoubtedly have. Um, but um, for them to um, capture our criminal justice system, um, that's obviously much more serious. Um, uh, and it really feels as though that's, what ha- that's what's happened. The Crown Prosecution Service is now publishing guidance seemingly written by um, woke activists about who the police should and shouldn't uh, arrest and who people, you know, who they should and shouldn't prosecute. Um, absolutely incredible. The idea that, you know, y- y- you, you can be prosecuted for um, refusing to, you know, use your life savings, uh, the nest egg that you're keeping for your children's education, for, for not allowing that to be spent on someone undergoing, you know, irreversible medical procedures, which will leave them almost certainly with lifelong injuries. Um, and, uh, you know, do, I mean, it's just that you can be prosecuted for that is nothing short of amazing. And it, it, to think that, you know, it's as though um, the cast of the young ones are now running the country and it's all happened, you know, on the Conservative Party's watch. It just seems absolutely extraordinary. I know we sort of talk about this every week, but this seems like, you know, a new low. I mean, once once the kind of, once this these hard left identitarian extremists have captured the criminal justice system, and they're capturing it in other ways too, I and mean, we know they've captured the police, um, but also, you know, members of the courts and tribunal service, judges, magistrates, um, panelists on employment tribunals all now receive regular unconscious bias training, anti-racism training, um, uh, LGBTQ plus inclusivity training, all delivered by organizations like Stonewall and Mermaids. Um, so, you know, the, 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 it's extraordinary how energetic, you know, the woke activists are and how we really have just been asleep. Um, we've been slumbering. And um, whilst we've been slumbering, you know, um, uh, these fanatics, these zealots have just taken over the country and taking it back now is going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be the work of several generations, it feels like. Yeah. And I've also started to be quite annoyed with the kind of professional class who allow this to happen. We know now that we now know that the Bank of England is captured by Stonewall and all these people that just sort of allow this stuff that, you know, shouldn't they be doing more? You speak to people in my football team or whatever, they they quite reasonable. You, you know, they can't really be into this stuff, but they're kind of just allowing it or they say it's the younger generation or something or they go along with it 
people are just going along with this. I mean, there's the absolute, the ideologues that you talk about, but then there are all the people just going along with it. And they may have valid reasons. Of course, there are always reasons. There are always, you've got kids, you've got a mortgage, but I just do think, why are so many sensible people allowing this stuff to happen? And I suppose that one, one of the depressing things about it is that um, whenever you um, win a victory, so, you know, Maya Forstatter, um, uh, her, her firm, who she was suing for belief discrimination because she was effectively forced out for misgendering some of her colleagues. She she, she won a settlement of £100,000. Alison Bailey forced out of her barrister's chambers for similar reasons. She's just won her case. Um, there was uh, the LGB Alliance versus Mermaids Charity Commission Tribunal. LBG Alliance won, Mermaids lost, and not only did Mermaids lose, but... Jelly and Morm lost too because the good law the good law project was funding that case. They try to they try to spin it as a victory. You know, everyone just burst out laughing. Um, uh, but um, every time you know you win some of these victories and you begin to think, yes, maybe we do live on turf island. You know, and thank God for that. You then read something like this that the, the Crown Prosecution Service has decided that um, if you misgender your um, you know uh, non gender conforming partner, that could be a criminal offence. Um, uh, and, and incidentally, I don't know if you spotted this, but they, the CPS listed, you know, some examples of, um, of, of, uh, uh, what some, um, non-gender conforming identities might be. And one of them in this long list was, um, aromatic. I think they were trying to say aromantic and just, just left out the N, but aromatic, it's like, um, you like uh, what is that i mean they make these infantile identifiers kind of, uh, as a crispy aromatic duck <laughs> it wouldn't be surprised if somebody does probably a school child somewhere in brighton probably does identify as a crispy aromatic peking duck and probably comes into school wrapped in you know one of those lovely pancakes covered in um plum sauce and if you try and say you're supposed to wear the uniform if i identify as a crispy peking duck oh, okay that's fine then um <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Here's but, some cucumber. Um, yeah. Here's some cucumber slices and spring onion. But so sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, I suppose. Yeah. W- would you get into trouble if you tried to eat this child in the playground? <laughs> I just took. <laughs> you know, that'd be all part of it. You'd have to accept it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you didn't want that, yeah, because not wanting the Chinese food would be, would be racist. So you'd you'd have to you'd have to eat them, right? To not be racist, and uh, or well, yeah, it'd be cultural appropriation. Claim- because then, if you if you absorb into your body, <laughs> it's an important yeah, question. Yep. Yeah. I thought you were going to well, make veganism. a larger point there, Toby. It, I just I totally no, derailed well, I, the point. Well, That's what you've the, got. The, 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 <laughs> sorry, the, the, the larger point I was working up to, Nick, before we got derailed by <laughs> crispy, pe- aromatic, crispy peaking duck, was um, uh, that you know. It, 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 how however stupid they make themselves look, these kind of woke activists, by you know using the word aromatic instead of aromantic. I mean, in, in numerous ways, they make themselves re- look ridiculous, you know, um, every day. And it's just a kind of, it's, 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 it's the, um, you know, it's an inexhaustible well of, of, of stories for the Daily Mail and the Daily Telegraph and GB News headliners, you know, us, peak woke, you know, I mean, it, it, it's the gift that just keeps on giving. It's inexhaustible. Um, uh, but however much you ridicule these people, however idiotic they make themselves look, you know, however often they're exposed and we laugh at them, um, it doesn't seem to kind of, it doesn't seem to set them back, you know, um, 
at all. Um, that just carry on their relentless march through the institutions. Yeah, it's a good um, point. And your other point as well about Turf Island is it, the same as James S's said. I was interviewing James S's on my other podcast, The Current Thing, and he said, yeah, well, look, we are ahead of other countries. We are, in a sense, Turf Island, but we're still not that far ahead. We still have all these challenges and we're not doing anywhere near enough. So it's pretty much what you said there. And that's where we are. There's occasional wins, but it's, it's not enough. No. Um, we, we need we need um, we need political leadership as well as uh, you know lots of grassroots activist organisations and the support of the press. It's just at the moment, you know, we're we're a we're not a powerful enough coalition to take on the. It's like it's like it's like it's, it's like trying to fight off an army of orcs. You know, every time you kind of manage to kind of knock a few back, you just see this sea of kind of goblins heading towards you, and it's like it just feels like. But I guess you know. Um, the good guys did win in the Lord of the Rings in the end. True, true. We are like the hobbits and we will triumph eventually. But yeah, and politicians are not helping. Like Ben Bradshaw, he's always particularly awful. That Lord Moyle guy, Keir Starmer being completely useless. And of course, the Tories done nothing over 13 years, as we've said. And another one was Clive Lewis. And I thought we'd get on to this next story about this so-called Sarah Jane Baker, who the male absurdly insists on calling she, as they do with these things. And this is a violinist and artist who was, who was jailed for kidnapping and torturing her, Daily Mail's words, not mine, stepmother's brother. And at age 21, she, according to Daily Mail, was convicted of attempted murder for breaking into a prisoner's cell and trying to strangle him to death. I assume he was actually a man. Um, and tried to cut off his balls, by the way, in prison with a razor blade. Just sorry if anyone's eating, but... Um, that made me feel a bit queasy as well in my current state. And and this Sarah Jane Baker person was at this rally saying, I was going to come here and be really fluffy and really nice and say, yeah, be really lovely and queer and gay. Nah, if you see a turf, punch them in the effing face. And this, and by the way, this person was paid £10,000 to transition by the taxpayer. Peter Tatchell tried to defend this, saying it wasn't typical of the movement. But then Constantine replied and said, why is everyone cheering? Which was a good point. And I mentioned... Labour MP Clive Lewis, because he said, advocating violence against others is wrong, and this is no exception. But as you'll be aware, violent language and actions are not unique to one side on this issue. That doesn't justify the above in any way, but it does require we acknowledge the general toxicity and step back from it. It's like, what are you on about, Clive Lewis? As if there's equal violence on both sides. What kind of disgusting kind of what about we on, on, on what was a horrendous incident? Yeah. I've never heard um, a gender-critical feminist, um, you know, um, addressing... Uh, a, a large crowd of people and urging them to punch trans people in the face. Um, nothing remotely like that. Um, and certainly if, if a GC feminist did say anything like that, the crowd would not cheer. Um, no, it's, it is extraordinary. I, I don't know if you saw that um, various people complained to the Metropolitan Police and said, you know, why aren't you investigating this person? She's inciting a crowd to commit violence against women. Um, and uh, acting police sergeant Daniel Warner um, uh, responded to the complaints with a sort of um, a form letter. And, um, and in the form letter, he said, uh, we need to take into account Article 10 of the European Convention on Human Rights, freedom of expression. And then goes on to quote it and points out that it's been embedded in British law by the Human Rights Act 1998, goes on about how important it is um, to respect the right to freedom of expression. You're thinking, crikey. 
um, the police have suddenly discovered a working knowledge of the legal protections for freedom of expression. How, how come you know you didn't know anything about this when you are constantly harassing and arresting, uh, or at least taking in for questioning, um, gender critical feminists who say things on Twitter like you know trans women aren't women? Um, it yeah. just seems so extraordinarily one sided. And, and isn't this a classic example of incitement? I mean, that's one of the things not protected by free speech. If you yeah. say, if you see a turf, punch them in the face at, at an event where there probably are gender critical people or may well be, mm. isn't that classic incitement? In, in the American First Amendment, there's, there's, you're not allowed to issue fighting words. You're not allowed to say if there's an imminent threat of violence. And that is an imminent threat of violence. That's classic incitement. Yeah, I think, I think um, yeah, it, it, this certainly isn't defensible speech under Article 10 of the European Convention on Human Rights. It wouldn't even be defensible under the First Amendment, as you say, which is um, uh, which is a far, which, which provides far more robust free speech protections than Article 10. So, yeah, he was just talking nonsense. I don't see you could not defend what what um, Sarah Jane Baker said by appealing to his right to free speech. I'm glad you got the his in there so we don't get the reviews. Um, yeah, absolutely insane. And I, I don't know, it d- does make you despair that, I mean, between being ill and the news, I've been, I've just been so miserable. So <laughs> it's just like, and we shouldn't, we, we have, we're going to have to move on from this story before I get too depressed. But we have to cover these things. In a way, it's just one nutter, but of course it is a much larger movement. Maybe we should go across the pond and take it away from the the grim Turf Island and go across to Joe Biden. We need a little sting for across the pond. We don't have yet. But, uh, well, hold on. Should we, should we do a quick ad before we go across oh, the pond? Yeah, okay. Let's um, do a quick ad because we've got loads. And we've got three this week. So um, our first ad today is, from, is for the uh, stack assistant. In the 1800s, a typical potato farm could harvest several tons of spuds from a few acres. After months of backbreaking work, a family could sell their excess potatoes for around tuppence a kilo. Nowadays, an automated potato harvester can complete the annual workload of the whole family in less than an hour. Deflationary technology should have made potatoes near free, but potatoes now cost around 50 pence a kilo. So, not only has our money been massively debased, but all the wealth from this huge productivity gain has also been stolen by the state. The inflation we see is just the tip of the iceberg of state theft, as the cost of almost everything should have deflated massively with mass production. Time is money, and money is time. And the state-inflated time we must spend to meet our needs can never be claimed back. But now we can choose Bitcoin, a money that can never be debased, so that everyone gains from human ingenuity, not just the bloated bloodsuckers on the money printer's teats. At The Stack Assistant, we offer free advice to help you stack your first SATs, as these subunits of Bitcoin are called, and securing your stack into self-custody. If you want advice and help on how to stack your first SATs, email The Stack Assistant on thestackassistant, or one word, at pm.me. That's thestackassistant at pm.me. Okay, so let's go across the pond. There's the jingle. And... Toby, you know more about this than me, but you you heard there are rumors finally that Biden is going to step down. And I've since heard rumors, you know, Newsom is going to step up this complete psychopath, by the way, Gavin Newsom, who only watches 
Fox News to get a sense of the other side and says that it contributes to the mental health crisis in this country. A complete, I mean, they're basically replacing, if they do go with Newsom, they're replacing someone who can't talk or think with a complete psychopath. They're like, well, he's a psychopath, but at least he can string a sentence together. That seems to be what they're going for. But what have you heard on this? Yeah, well, I I heard um, a rumor from a friend of mine who claimed to have got it from quite a highly placed source that uh, this weekend, Joe Biden is going to give an interview on CNN in which he announces that he won't be running for president in 2024. So effectively announcing he's going to step down uh, next year um, and transforming himself into a lame duck. Uh, and 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 on the and, and I think there is. I don't think my friend was the only person to have heard this rumor because, um, as you say, Gavin Newsom's odds um, began to. Um, improve his odds of becoming the next president and his odds of becoming the Democratic nominee both began to dramatically improve. Um, but um, I then I then put this on Twitter thinking, I'll be the first out there with this rumor, win a few brownie points. But um, And then my friend got back to me after I, just after I tweeted this and said, uh, oh, I'm not sure my source is that reliable after all. Confidence level has gone down to 50%. I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> just too late with this. Um, but uh, so who knows? I mean, I think it might happen, but um, I would have thought that if Biden isn't going to run again, he'll leave it till the last possible minute um, to say that because, of course, the moment he says it, he becomes a lame duck and his power begins to drain away and it begins to gravitate towards whoever his success is likely to be. Um, but having said that, I do think at some point he is going to announce that he's not going to be contesting um, the presidency in 24. I mean, he's just so clearly suffering from dementia. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think wiser heads in the party must have, you know, um, told him that if he is the if he is the nominee, um, uh, it, it, there's just no chance the Democrats can win. I mean, even even you know, diehard liberals and Trump haters are they really going to elect someone who literally cannot walk from you know um, uh, uh, an aeroplane doorway to um, a podium without falling over? tripping up i mean it, it's just it's just becoming it's, it's just becoming a kind of laughing stock um it's pitiful um so uh, i do think he won't be the nominee but i'm not sure uh, i'm not i don't i don't suppose he'll um I, it seems unlikely that he'd, he'd announce that now i think he'll want to kind of you know leave it leave it as late as possible yes well and and did did more people vote for biden than, than voted for obama tucker carlson was absolutely laughing out loud at that notion during the tate interview I know you believe it, but it's interesting that me and Tucker find that idea quite laughable. But um, yeah, I mean, who would they go with? You see, this is this is this is the thing. Who else but Newsom is there? You've got Kamala Harris was stuff saying stuff like, "Time is the most important thing, and we need to think about time because it's gone and it's there." And they're like, it was just like just pure nonsense. Just there's like there's like montages of Kamala Harris. You see that one comparing her to Veep, and 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 she was her her speeches were more ridiculous. Than the deliberately satirical, ridiculous speeches in V. It was. It's so. It's incredible. I mean, she, I still think she's just got an IQ of about fifty. It's unbelievable. And then, um, then you've got Big Mike, of course. I mean, is is he ready to run? We don't want to get into that again, Mike Obama. And um, but then you've got Newsom, who seems far more likely because Politico have posted this. 
Gavin Newsom's star is ascending and he's bringing a whole constellation with him. And it's just this kind of puff pieces coming out. So this is what we're going to see more and more. of. We're going to see Newsom, if it is going this way, turned into the new, you know, the new hope, even though he's obviously just an awful psychopath who broke the lockdowns. And um, even though he imposed them more rigorously than most places in California. And of course, he turned California into a communist s-hole mm. um and they won't allow rfk who is their actual decent candidate what do you think to newsom toby mm. yeah I, I, i'm i'm obviously unimpressed by newsom and um i thought his uh handling of the pandemic uh was um alarming um he obviously has uh, uh out of control authoritarian impulses he's completely aligned with the um censorship industrial complex um he's turned his state into an economic basket case i mean it's rapidly depopulating people are fleeing california um san francisco is becoming unlivable um so yeah i think it'd be an absolute catastrophe um but i think he's probably a stronger candidate than than joe biden um uh, and i think trump DeSantis might might uh, might find it more difficult to beat him do you think that in some ways um if biden does announce he's not going to run again um that it would it would harm Trump. I mean, with Trump, it feels almost like a rerun. You know, it's an opportunity to um, uh, uh, correct the mistake some voters made last time. And they'll want to give Biden a bloody nose because, you know, they hate Biden um, and he beat their man last time, whatever. You can see it kind of, you know, Trump is energized and his base is galvanized by an opportunity to give Biden a bloody nose to kind of beat him second time around. It's like a rerun. Um, but, um, or maybe avenge themselves on what they believe is, you know, um, the steal. Um, but, um, so if it isn't Biden, if it's somebody new, then I think the pressure will be on Trump to kind of um, stand aside in favour of someone new on the Republican side too. It's like, you know, it can't be, you know, a kind of uh, death match um, uh, uh if, if if it's not against Biden. So it, it sort of feels like, you know, um, uh, if Biden does decide not to stand, it will it will hurt Trump. And and maybe if he is going to do it sooner rather than later, the reason for doing it would be to damage Trump. So if he leaves it too late, Trump's less likely to withdraw. And Trump probably is the strongest candidate. Well, I like DeSantis too. But anyway, who knows? Uh, I agreed with everything except one thing you said about Trump having to stand down, he wouldn't stand down, and I don't think that works. But yeah, he would be. A, it would be a tougher candidate. I mean, assuming a fair election, of course, uh, Trump beats Biden in a fair election every time. If you ask me, at this point, of course, that's just my opinion. It's some people say he actually won't beat Biden on numbers. It's it's not actually. They say Trump hasn't gained enough. Blah blah. blah all this, I think he would. But Newsom's worse for him, I think. Yeah, because Newsom is just needs to come out and and say bland things and be a sort of normal human and and that's all he needs to do and and democrats will mm. vote for him and they'll just turn a blind eye to how awful he is because he's not possibly worse than biden his authoritarianism mm. was horrendous like you say so in that sense he's actually even worse than biden but biden would be just the same biden just does whatever he's told anyway so biden they're both just evil puppets but biden is, is an evil <laughs> puppet that can't even speak or walk so I think Newsom is a worse threat and there isn't that revenge factor, like you say, uh, setting the steel right, etc. So I think Newsom is worse for Trump. I think either way Trump runs and it's just a bit tougher against Newsom. But on your DeSantis thing as well, DeSantis just, his campaign has just been a total flop. It just doesn't seem to work. Maybe he's got the donors 
but he doesn't seem to gain the popularity. He just he just hasn't worked out, has he, so far? I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I know his campaign is stalling, but I would have thought that um, if 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 Biden steps aside and Newsom becomes the favorite to win the Democratic nomination, that that would strengthen DeSantis because DeSantis looks more like uh, looks like a more credible. Uh, opponent, I think, than Trump, um, you know, make way for the next generation, two governors running against each other, one who handled the pandemic almost better than any other state governor, whose state is booming, who's kind of um, on the right side of all the culture war issues, has done something about the indoctrination of children in schools, about the promotion of trans ideology in schools, you know, he's got a fantastic track record to run on against another governor um, uh, who has a pitiful track record to run on. So I would have thought that if it's Newsom or if it looks likely to be Newsom, that might give um, DeSantis's campaign um, a bit of a, you know, adrenaline boost. Yeah, there is, there is something in that. Um, although can't practically happen because Trump would never back down. It never withdraw for DeSantis and, and he will retain the support therefore. So, so it won't happen. So I suppose as we record, would you say the most likely outcome is Trump versus Newsom as we record? I'm still going to go with DeSantis versus Newsom. I, don't, I, I think that uh, by hook or by crook, Trump won't run. But I could wow. be wrong. It could just be wishful thinking. I think only the legal proceedings could keep him out of it. I don't see any anything else keep him out of it. I think you underestimate perhaps how, how much more popular Trump is in the party. I mean, depends what you mean by popular, just... You know, he's just he's the leading candidate by far, whether people secretly want that or not. Anyway, let's see. Who knows? Maybe Biden w- will run, but it does seem increasingly unlikely and impossible. Should we move on to our other across the pond story? It's kind of across the pond. Well, it is now because he's buggered off to America. It's Harry and Meghan and the divorce rumors. And I wasn't sure if this was a serious story, but then it did appear in various serious places. Though the tweet I have is just from someone called Ada Lutch. I'm not even sure who she is, but but I did check it with, with other sources. But she said, rumours are that Meghan Markle is separating from Harry. She took him from his family after she embarrassed the British royal family and made his whole nation hate him. <laughs> now that Harry is broken lonely because of her, she has allegedly filed divorce papers asking for 80 million plus the total custody of Archie and Lilibet. If this actually happens, is she going to be forced to return Harry's testicles? So that was an interesting take. Now, I'm not sure about all the details of that. The only bit I'm saying that I've heard elsewhere is just the divorce rumours. And a friend... One of the stories going around was Harry's friend downplays divorce rumours and says they're very much in love, which to me is always a bad sign. It's like full full confidence in the football manager, you know, that he's in trouble. <laughs> yeah. You know, Harry and Meghan are very much in love amid divorce rumours, claims Powell. But, but it was someone on GB News raised the idea that royal correspondent, whose name I forget, that they might be divorcing. Interesting, Toby. And, you know, it does seem inevitable, doesn't it, at some point, whether he gets sick of her narcissism or whether... She just says, decides she's done with him. And the fact that she hasn't come out a lot of times during his publicity for the book and things like that, she's been very sort of conspicuous by her absence. The falling apart of their Spotify contract, it might all suddenly not be worth it for her. So whether it's because he can't bear her anymore or she has, is done with him for career purposes, surely this is the inevitable result. If not today, then someday. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, for a long time, I believe that... Um, it's a it's a marriage that just looks doomed to end in divorce. Um, 
they're, they're you know they're, they're 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 not a great match you know they're, they're they're too different their backgrounds their culture their education their families are just too different um you know anyone who'd arranged a marriage would not arrange a marriage uh between two such different people i'm not saying that there can't be you know um racially mixed successful couples i'm sure there are millions all over the world but um and she you know she 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 just seems so mercenary as though, you know, she's not someone motivated by romantic love, but by other things. And as you say, the fact that um, he's proved to be um, a less productive cash cow than she hoped, and they're losing deals now left and right. You know, it's hard to see what he can do as a sequel to Spare. He's more or said it all in Spare. So is the next shoe to drop? Penguin Random House pulling out of their multi-million pound book deal. Um, the ideas for new projects they come up with just sound, you know, absolutely hopeless. No one's going to buy them. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I imagine she's probably thinking, um, you know, I, I've got about as much as I can out of this man. You know, um, uh, he, he doesn't have much more to give me. Um, so what would keep them together other than, love and there just doesn't seem to be a great deal of that in their relationship but maybe i'm just being cynical and my question is toby could she land a billionaire still because we know women are hypergamous in nature from certain youtube channels which means that they always it's not their fault they just always naturally try and get the best resources and the best providers they can it's just built in guys and megan seems like particularly a particularly strong candidate for that she, you know, she's done that with Harry. She's gone for like the best possible thing she can get, a prince. And she still doesn't seem too happy with that. One can, you know, read between the lines or imagine perhaps. Um, but let's say they broke up, right? And I'm not taking any pleasure in it, by the way. I did laugh at the tweet, but I don't take any pleasure in, in this happening to Harry. Megan is sort of, no one likes, you know, she's a psychopath. But Harry, I, I, I think I'll feel bad for him. But... But Megan, could she get someone else? And my theory on this is normally a woman like her, she's still pretty good looking. She's like probably thinking, if I get out now, I can still upgrade. But is she so publicly toxic that even a sort of man who we know what men are like, even a man thinks, okay, Megan's pretty hot, but looks at any number of stories about her. Will would you know? Will she get some simp billionaire, Toby, or will they just be put off by her clear toxicity? Yeah, I think... I think um... I would have thought that um, certainly self-made billionaires um, who tend to be quite alpha um, uh, would be quite wary of marrying her when they've seen, you know, that she's she's left her first husband, a kind of hollowed out husk of a man. Um, uh, and she's obviously, you know, quite controlling, quite alpha herself um, and two alphas that doesn't tend to work in a relationship. I would have thought though that she might find, as you say, some, you know, some simp who's earned their millions the old fashioned way, i.e. inherited it. Um, and uh, and might still find her, you know, might, might, might want to be married to someone quite bossy and controlling um, and uh, probably someone even less bright than Harry. Um, I guess if she gets to keep the Duchess title, then that might might make her more alluring to you know some um, unworldly European minor aristocrat. Who knows? Yeah, well, maybe one of Harry's friends. That's always a thing, isn't it? With that type of girl, they're always going to go for the friend. One of Harry's sort of even less bright friends who's got hit in the head during a polo match. 
and but has some money because he's the third duke of something, right? Mm. That could be possible. I don't, yeah, I don't you understand that get, well I, better than me. Yeah, possibly. Um, but I would have thought they'd be slightly wary, um, given what she's done to their friend. Um, but I, I think um, you can imagine her marrying, you know, not a billionaire, um, but someone who's made maybe $100 million or is on their way to getting to their first $100 million, like a kind of successful real estate tycoon in, you know, Wyoming. Or something uh, has a couple of shopping mouths. Um, uh, someone who, someone who's socially ambitious, wants to see their name in the gossip columns, just would enjoy the attention. And for them, you know, it would be a step up to marry this duchess who has these links to the British royal family and um, still, still, still quite attractive. See, I can see that, but I don't think yeah, a billionaire is going to marry her. They could just as easily go with some girl off Instagram or do a Conor Roy and have some sort of weird sugar daddy relationship. Then again, they could go out with Megan for the title while they still see these other girls on the side. Yeah, you maybe maybe in the 100 million back. It could happen. I mean, this is, this is incredibly <laughs> cynical taking it, but it, hey, Megan's cynical. Um, one thing you said that was interesting as well is that their backgrounds are just too different. And that probably is true. I mean, People, especially in England, people of different backgrounds just can't mix. You're about the poshest person that will even uh, associate with me, Toby, because I've noticed all my friends are up lower middle class or working class. We can't transcend class, really. And I, I don't know. I'm, this is one of my big theories. I don't even get invited to posh people. If you've been to a public school, I don't even get invited to your wedding, let alone like marry someone. I even get invited <laughs> as a guest because well, we'll, never, we'll never mix. But of course, Americans don't have that quite as badly. I mean, she's already transcend everything by coming from her background to make it into the royal family so you could argue that's moot at this point i don't know yeah i think i mean even when you get the class match right um marriages don't always work out i mean look at prince charles's first marriage um it seemed to be an arranged marriage in which you know all the stars were aligned but um actually it didn't work out at all it was seemingly even more disastrous than harry's marriage to megan i mean at least they haven't got divorced yet um so uh who knows who, exactly what's going to happen but um I, I would have thought that they're just too mismatched to, to to make a successful life together over the long term okay well should we go to our other occasional section toby and do bird watch so, got an interesting bird watch this week because Tucker Carlson released an interview with Andrew Tate, top G, our friend, my friend, of course, follows me on Twitter, had a couple of DMs. Everyone knows I'm mates with Andrew. Might even be in some legal trouble for defending him, but that's a whole other story. So, this, is a, this was a huge thing, and it just dropped last night. Obviously, I've watched the whole thing, being you know fan of top G. By the way, Justin Waller also follows me now, who's Tate, one of Tate's best mates. So, Tristan, Andrew, and Justin Waller, and Mizzy. I mean, who else is there left? Really, there's only Tucker and Elon left, and then I've pretty much, you know, I'm I'm, I'm done, aren't I? But it, there was a, it was an interview, Toby, and an introduction from Tucker that made me look like a fence sitter. You're always saying you're a bit worried about defending the top G, Nick, and I always say no. Here's why. But Tucker just went for it out and out. He didn't care at all. I mean, I was watching. I was shocked by some of the stuff he said. So I was just going to read out some of his intro because it was so good. He said, "Imagine being a sixth grade boy in the United States right now. What are you hearing at school? What are they telling you on the internet?" Well, they're telling you to stop being yourself, sit, sit still, stop joking, suppress your aggression, share your feelings, obey. And he went on and on. He said, female qualities, <laughs> I'm not used to talking as talk, especially when I'm ill. I normally just say, I'm not an intellectual, I'm a talk show host. Anyway, <laughs> and he carried on and went, female qualities are virtuous, masculine qualities are oppressive. That's the message. 
In case it wasn't clear enough, schools around the country have removed urinals from boys' bathrooms. The male body itself is shameful. Sit down when you pee like a good little girl. Views like this are often called feminism or woke politics, but in fact they amount to mass conversion therapy and attempt to change the fundamental nature of people. Nothing like this has ever been attempted at scale. It's one of the most grotesque and destructive experiments in human history. What would it be like to find yourself the subject of that experiment as a boy trying to become a man during the Biden years? Well, you might kill yourself. Many have. You might decide to reject your own manhood and embrace androgyny or even switch sexes. Girls are better? Fine. I'll become one. Or more likely, you might simply withdraw into porn and weed and video games and give up on your life before it's begun. You might retire at 19, a less dramatic form of suicide. All around us, this is happening. Noticing it is forbidden, but that does not make it any less real. I mean, that was just Tucker going full Tucker. There's a there's an episode of the podcast called Come Town where they're just doing a Tucker bit like, you know, I used to have I used to have a penis, not anymore. They just do this whole talk a bit about now I'm gay. It's like a ridiculous kind of parody of of Tucker. And like, don't believe me? Have a look at this. And this was just Tucker going full Tucker. I mean, you might kill yourself. Many have. I mean, <laughs> that is wild, isn't it? How? And then there was the interview itself. And just lastly on that, he went pretty far on that. He talked about well, that's why people find Tate's message inspiring. And he even said the Tates were held without charges for three months, very likely with the encouragement of the British and American governments. So he didn't pull any punches on that either. Now, what did you think to the intro and the interview as a whole? Um, yeah, so um, I, I, the impression I came away with um, is that he hasn't been reading Caitlin Moran's What About Men? Um, it doesn't sound like he's uh, completely convinced by her hypothesis. I've incidentally written about um, What About Men in The Spectator this week. Um, but um, yeah, I was, sli- I was slightly, I, was, I, had to, I have to say, Nick, when he said um, the removal of urinals from you know, um, toilets in schools was to encourage men to sit down when they pee like good little girls. I wrote a piece with a spectator a couple of weeks ago about how I've been sitting down to pee since my mid twenties. Um, and, um, essentially it was, it was, it was a kind of an effort to try and rather defensive effort to try and justify that as not being kind of emblematic of just being a, a, a soy boy cuck. Um, uh, but what, what uh, so was I was slightly re- what stunned. What was your reasoning? I didn't read that piece. Well, That's disgusting. Re- <laughs> the reason I have been um, sitting down to pee since my mid-20s is because I read a piece um, back then saying the reason women live longer than men is because of all that time they spend sitting down rather than standing up when they pee. Um, and uh, I was completely persuaded by that, wanted to live as long as I possibly could. And so ever since, have been just got into the habit of sitting down to pee. Um, and But I recently, when I read about this in The Spectator, tried to find that piece, tried to find any research evidence that that was one of the reasons women live longer than men. And I couldn't find anything. So it may well have been just a conversation in a pub in which I was speculating with my mates about why women live longer than men. And someone came up with this as a theory. And I've somehow kind of remembered that as being a scientifically bulletproof hypothesis. Uh, but anyway, that's, um, that, that, that's my excuse. Clearly bollocks, no pun intended. But yeah, that's a terrible reason to emasculate yourself, Toby. I mean, you know, the reason women live longer is because men do hard manual labor and women have no real worries because we're the ones, you know, running the world. I mean, it's clear. Sorry, I'm going back to misogyny corner. But um, that's crazy. I know you put out a tweet about it because it was a story about Germans sitting down to pee, wasn't it? Yes, and then, yes. And then I was, and I said something about decline of the West or something because you asked the question: Do anyone who sits down to pee? You forgot to say men. So I had all these pedants replying to me, going, "Women." It's like obviously he means men. It was very annoying because you felt specified by men. <laughs> obviously, men should stand up to pee. 
But yeah, that was classic Toko. That was like Toko mo- going into self-parody mode. Like you, now they're sitting down to pee. Soon there'll be women. You know what I mean? Like, that was like, it was, it was <laughs> borderline parody. But overall, he did have a point and he went, he went in hard and he was so pro-Tate. Tate kept saying controversial. Obviously, Tate's been accused of these terrible things. I don't believe them either. But I suppose it is quite interesting for someone as a mainstream as Tucker, for Tate just to be saying all these things and, and, and Tucker going, that's right, I agree. Good point. Like, just totally agree with him 100% on everything. Like, you know, because... Yeah, it was... It was very different to the BBC interview, wasn't it? Couldn't yeah. have had a more sympathetic interview. Yeah, exactly. And the Independent has come out now and said things like, you know, t- you know, Tucker Carlson sympathising with accused rapist, uh, you know, Tate and all this. Because it is quite a bold stance to take. I mean, you've criticised me for taking it on this podcast and no, no one even knows who I am. So imagine this. I mean, look at, look at the Independent's headline. Anger as Tucker Carlson drops lengthy interview with sex trafficking sub- sub- suspect Andrew Tate. Can't speak tonight. So... The thing is, though, about that is that Tate talked about the trafficking charge, and it's so weak. He says it's basically because they're claiming he coerced women to do TikTok videos to give him revenue. He's saying he's made no revenue from TikTok. He's got all his other revenue. Why would he do that? And, and apparently that counts as trafficking, is his claim, because it's you're coercing them into doing it. And even though they're saying they're not victims, and he's saying they're not, and he hasn't made any money off it, they're just he, he's saying, by this logic, my friends like Jay Waller, are also trafficked. And it's, I don't know, it's, it does, I've always said the evidence against Tate is ludicrous and, and totally thin. But uh, what did you think? Yeah, well, I, 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 I wasn't convinced that um, Tate was giving an accurate and impartial summary of the case against him. I mean, as you say, he said the case against him um, is that he had um, supposedly coerced women into making non-pornographic TikTok videos um, so he could earn the pennies from TikTok that those videos supposedly generated, even though he said he didn't understand how you could supposedly earn money from videos which got a lot of views on TikTok. So he was claiming, and he, he, but he said the coercion accusation is that um, he persuaded them to do this by being nice to them and by befriending them. So um, uh, there wasn't any actual coercion involved. Um, And all the women, he said, all the witnesses that have been interviewed by the Romanian authorities have said that they did it totally voluntarily. They don't see themselves as victims. They're friends with Andrew. This wasn't a sex trafficking operation uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, But he says the Romanian authorities are disbelieving uh, the witnesses because they think that Andrew still has this kind of um, uh, control, coercive control over them because he's bewitched them with his lover boy techniques. Um, but it struck me as that that can't be the full extent of the Romanian case against him. I mean, it isn't just, I, mean, I thought that, that, that he had a kind of sex a sort of webcam kind of pornography operation in his kind of warehouse in Romania. Um, and, and the kind of issue turned on, well, are the women participating in the webcam porn factory doing it entirely voluntarily? Or um, are they subject to a degree of coercion? For instance, has he taken their passports? Um, uh, have they somehow become indebted to him whereby they're going to have to earn money in order to 
pay back what they supposedly owe him. Um, and, and there are various, and he said that all the witnesses in the case for the prosecution, um, none of them claimed to have been coerced in any way. They were all doing it in a totally, on a totally voluntary basis. But I believe there are some women, maybe they're not women who've been interviewed by the Romanian authorities, but there are some women um, who have uh, complained about being coerced by Andrew, bullied by Andrew in some way to participate in various money-making schemes. And the money-making schemes certainly aren't just um, uh, uh, making TikTok videos. I mean, so I think he sort of, it seemed to me that he was leaving leaving certain things out of his account of what the charges are against him when he was when he was summarizing them to Tucker, which is why Tucker was sitting there kind of slack jawed with amazement that he would be prosecuted for these completely, you know, um, trivial things. Well, I don't know about that. I don't know if he still has the webcam studio. That was ages ago. He did have it. I mean, it was the first thing that he made a lot of money from. He did say that more recently. I know Tristan seems to have done more of the sort of OnlyFans sort of being a kind of agent for the OnlyFans girls, but I don't know enough about it. I don't know if he still has it. Yeah, I mean, there's the UK charges, which are different. I, of course, don't believe any of them, nor does Tucker. And um, you're going to be on the wrong side of history on this one, sadly, Toby, with your blue pill take. But that's my prediction. But um, it's going to be very hard to get to the truth, of course. But And, and Tucker did throw something in there as well about Ju- Julian Assange. He, you know, there was always that very dodgy case against Julian Assange, which was clearly, to me, because the establishment were looking for something. They didn't like him, obviously. That was dropped nine years later without charges. I didn't realize that. So this is the thing you can do. You can accuse mm. someone now, a man you don't like, he threatens the establishment, oh, he's done this, and then nine years later it's quietly dropped. But no one hears about that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's the... I mean, it's true, that was interesting, uh, but I don't think that's the kind of substance of the case against Julian Assange. Um, and it's certainly not the reason anymore for extraditing him from the UK. Um, okay. Anyway, that's a whole other can yeah, it's a whole of other can- we don't uh, Yeah, but open. I'm pro-Assand, pro-Tate. We don't have much time, though, so you've got to go. So maybe I'll quickly read an ad uh, before we go to our will section. So this is from our friend Thor, who says, Dan Hawtrey, CEO, said, I'm starting to think of Thor as my secret weapon. He has helped me and coached me with running my business. Most recently, he helped me fight through one of my biggest fears, public speaking. I was due to give a speech and told Thor about it, highlighting my phobia. Thor couldn't have been a better help. He turned my phobia into confidence and coached me through my speech over several sessions, managing to build on my confidence every time I spoke to him. The speech went amazingly. People laughed at my jokes. They asked loads of questions. And I was even invited to speak at another event. Thank you, Thor. You are a superstar. So to book your own discovery call with Thor, message him on WhatsApp on 07906-321-593. Or connect with him via LinkedIn on linkedin.com slash in slash Thor Holt to connect. So message him on WhatsApp 07906-321-593. Or connect with him at linkedin.com slash in slash Thor Holt to book a discovery call with Thor. So that was our Thor ad. And now, Toby, you've agreed to do the Will bit this week because I've been ill. So now let's go over to your bit with Will. So I'm here with Will and Will. The first story you want to talk about this week is a piece of research determining that excess deaths in some European countries in the last 12 months were actually higher than during the first 12 months of the pandemic. That's right, Toby. This is an incredible story by one of our regular contributors, Nick Rendell. He's uh, looked into the data on excess deaths across Europe and found 
that in no fewer than eight European countries, the excess deaths are actually been higher, as you said, in the last 12 months. So from June to June, June 2022 to June 2023, than they were in the first 12 months of the pandemic. That's April 2020 to April 2021, which you'll remember uh, included the first two or three waves, depending how you count them. Uh, but the first two waves of the of the pandemic, uh, including that spring and then the one in the winter, uh, when of course we and uh, and many countries are locked down hard, and yet he says that the uh, that the excess deaths are actually higher now in eight countries than than they were in in that in that pandemic period. Those countries are Germany, Finland, Austria, Latvia, Greece, Estonia, the Netherlands, and. Ireland, and so this, and Nick just asks, uh, Nick Rendell just asks, uh, if if these countries were so important and desperate to lock down then, then why aren't they locking down now? And he says that it, are these not the questions uh, that the COVID inquiry, the UK inquiry, should be asking? If these countries, if it was so important to lock down uh, at that in that first year um, during those uh, during those COVID waves because of the excess deaths, why is it not more important to lock down now? Of course, what Nick's really saying is it wasn't necessary or essential uh, to lock down. And the, the narrative that's been emerging at the inquiry, that the only mistake we really made was not locking down hard enough, fast enough, is is total nonsense and a myth. Does Nick speculate as to what the causes of the excess deaths uh, not are? In, not in this article. He has in he has in previous articles. But of course, uh, the, 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 one of the things about excess deaths is that no government seems to be interested in them. While in 2020, these level of excess deaths were seen as as being necessary uh, to impose extraordinary restrictions on us. Uh, now, no government seem to be interested in properly exploring why this is. Uh, and the UK uh, government recently confirmed that it is not investigating the excess deaths. Uh, excess deaths are continue to be high in the UK, but the government has said it has no intention of investigating uh, why, uh, shockingly. Uh, there's all quite kinds of reasons, and we often uh, raise here the question of whether the vaccines, the long-term side effects of the vaccines may be involved. But there's, there's other possibilities. Uh, but the point is that governments just don't seem to be interested in finding finding out. Okay. And that story did very well for us, didn't it? Uh, this one. Yeah, it did. Um, uh, 15,000 uh, hits, I think. Okay. Um, and uh, the next story you wanted to talk about was um, a story which briefly appeared in The Lancet and then disappeared. Effectively, um, it was a team of researchers looked at COVID vaccine autopsies, and you'll have to explain what those are, but they discovered that 74% of the deaths they examined were caused by the COVID-19 vaccines. Do you want to talk a bit about that? That's right. Yeah. So this is a, a preprint. So it was a study uh, that wasn't yet peer reviewed, but it appeared in the Lancet preprint uh, website, uh, preprints with the Lancet, as it's uh, imaginatively called. And this team, uh, led by a leading cardiologist, uh, Dr. Peter McCulloch, and Yale epidemiologist, Dr. Harvey Rich, and a number of their colleagues had looked have looked into, they reviewed all of the autopsies after COVID vaccination they could find, uh, studies that have been published on these. Um, they identified uh, 678 studies. Uh, they whittled that down to 44 that passed their, that met their criteria, their uh, rigorous criteria, um, and that contained um, details of 325 autopsies, that's deaths. And these are autopsies that were undertaken of people who died shortly after COVID vaccination, uh, we, it could be weeks or months, not necessarily days, where there was some suspicion that the vaccine might have been involved. Um, so these aren't just any deaths after vaccination. These are deaths where there was some suspicion 
um, and they were investigating whether the vaccine might be involved. And according to this team, which includes some top uh, medics and scientists, uh, they concluded, looking at these studies, that 74% of the deaths were caused or likely to have been uh, significantly contributed uh, to by the COVID vaccines. So that, that in itself is a, a remarkable uh, finding and in line with what others, um, are including a top German pathologist, uh, Dr. Arne Burkhardt, had found. Uh, so that in itself is remarkable. But what happened was this study went up on the preprint server and uh, and within 24 hours, uh, this new review of autopsies was uh, was gone from the preprint server uh, with just a little note uh, left uh, and the authors uh, listed uh, and the note saying that it had been essentially it had been screened out for not meeting their criteria because it said just dismissed it as saying that the methodology that they had employed uh, did not did not justify their conclusions according to it was but this wasn't a peer review process this hadn't been looked at uh, by other experts in the field or other specialists this is just that the staff at the preprint site the Lancet preprint site had just taken a look at it and just decided uh, that all these top uh, scientists and medics must be wrong that their uh, that their methodology in their view did not did not justify it no explanation no further explanation given of that um, and so they removed it uh, so uh, we popped that story up on our site uh, last week uh, I'd um, fortunately had the had the sense to download a copy of the report while it was uh, while it was there not knowing of course at the time it was going to be removed uh, so put her a copy of the preprint uh, so you can now still read it on our on our site um, and the abstract, and this post has gone has gone highly viral, which is great. Really getting that that paper out there so more people can read it. It's had over two hundred and six thousand uh, hits so far since it went up uh, last week. Uh, one of our top uh, stories uh, on the site ever, in fact, and uh, it includes a quote from one of the authors, uh, the Yale epidemiologist Dr. Harvey Rich. Uh, who says that he deems it pure government-directed censorship? That's the removal of the of the uh, paper from the preprint site. Uh, and he says that it's even after the Missouri versus Biden injunction. And he also points out, meanwhile, my colleagues are studying what they call long vax, which is vaccine-caused damage. But of course, this is a rare, rare, rare outcome. Except they seem not to be having any problem finding such individuals to enrol in their study. He says. Uh, Riley noting that perhaps uh, that some of his colleagues, many of his colleagues are in denial about this. So long vax, unlike long COVID, may actually be a real thing. Um, or maybe that's too definitive. If anyone out there is suffering from long COVID, I didn't mean to belittle your suffering. So um, final story that you wanted to talk about this week, Will, which was um, a story by Chris Morrison, who has discovered that Climate models that predict increasing global warming as a result of CO2 emissions actually build into their assumptions that increasing CO2 emissions cause global warming. So the output of the models isn't that surprising. Absolutely. This is a, a code review uh, by an expert uh, programmer, Willis Eschenbach, a regular contributor to uh, What's Up With That, the, uh, uh, the American climate change site. But, uh, but he's an expert in computer programming, so he's really got into uh, the code. He's looked at the code at the, of the models, uh, in particular the model that NASA uses, and made one of the major uh, models. It's got 440, over 441,000 lines of what he calls prehistoric, um, as in 1983, Fortran code. 
Um, and it includes such nonsense aspects as uh, water that doesn't freeze and so-called negative cloud cover. It actually allows for, for, for there to be fewer than zero clouds in the sky. So it's got some complete nonsense in it, although these are, he notes, uh, fudged in various ways, which uh, he comments is science at its finest, ironically, of course. And he finds, as, as you've noted, that I mean, it's not surprising that the model builds in, bakes in these uh, this this alarmism, this uh, this catastrophism. But looking at the code, he finds it there. And in particular, it's because th- th- this model, like like all the climate models, they're iterative. That means they make they note a change in in the temperature from various inputs. Then that stays there, and then they do it again, and they do it again, and they do it again. So so more CO two or more cloud or less cloud or whatever, more melting ice or whatever. They have this. They have these iterative iterative steps, so that any so and the point is that any mistakes in the in the assumptions, and of course there's going to be there's so many assumptions in such a complicated system as the climate, uh, but any mistakes in those assumptions will just build and build and cu- accumulate, and and which is why they so they so readily turn the turn the Earth in their models into a fireball or a snowball. Uh, because they're just building, they're spiraling uh, these these feedbacks, these positive or negative feedbacks, um, and so ending up in disastrous places. Because the point is, they're not properly modelling the complex system of the climate uh, with all its uh, with all its feedbacks, with all its equilibria, with all the things that balance things out and prevent disaster from happening. Remember, the Earth has been around supporting life uh, for millions, billions of years. If it was prone to have disastrous runaway feedback loops, then you might have thought that that would be pretty unlikely to happen. So in other words, Will, we are destroying our economy, um, massively increasing the cost of our utility bills, um, making people unable to go on foreign holidays uh, because of the cost of air travel um, and um, forcing everyone to essentially switch to uh, electronic vehicles, all based on models which turn out to be complete garbage. Yep, that sounds right. (laughs) Well, thank you very much, Will, with our top stories of the week. Excellent. All right, that was Will. Thanks for that, Toby. Do you want to read our second or no our third ad even our third ad yeah our third ad is for the living care company are you worried about parents or a loved one who are finding it more and more difficult to take care of themselves or who may be living with a condition such as dementia or parkinson's are you starting to think about a residential care home but the very thought of it doesn't sit right at the living care company we truly believe that home is the best place to receive care from an expert carer of your choice and on a one-to-one basis Home is always a calmer, more healthy, and a happier place to be. For more information about Living Care, please go to the Living Care Company, all one word, .co.uk. That's the Living Care Company, .co.uk. Or ring us for a no obligation conversation on 0118-914-5300. That's 0118-914-5300. We'll be happy to help. All right, well, now let's go to everyone's favourite section. Of course, it's Peak Woke. And there are so many great Peak Wokes this week, Toby. Perhaps I'll kick off with this one. Lord's Prayer opening may be problematic, says Archbishop. Yet the Archbishop of York has said that the opening to the Lord's Prayer may be problematic because of its patriarchal association. The phrase, you had one job, springs to mind. I mean, you're the Archbishop of York. And he says, I know the word father is problematic for those who experience 
whose experience of earthly fathers has been destructive and abusive, and for all of us who have labored rather too much from an oppressively patriarchal grip on life. So we, we saw this where the Lord's Prayer was meant to be a problem because it was gendered. Now we're seeing it's a problem because it's patriarchal. And it's this disgusting attack on the church from those within it. They're saboteurs. And it's a disgusting attack on our English Christian culture, which we all grew up with, which was even I grew up with, you know, not that long ago. And it was it was a completely different world. We said the Lord's Prayer every day in school, probably multiple times. And to attack the Lord's Prayer is to fundamentally attack our culture. It's a fundamental attack on Christianity and our version of it. And the fact that it comes from the Archbishop of York is absolutely shameful. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, and pretty shocking, as you say. Um, and seemingly, yeah, uh, uh, based on a complete misunderstanding of um, what it means, um, what the phrase, you know, God our Father actually means. Um, but uh, did you see this story, Nick, about um, white pupils being excluded from um, literary literacy lessons on Saturdays? So um, white pupils have been excluded from these additional catch-up classes at schools in the London borough of Haringey, all in the name of um, equity and uh, anti-racism. But as numerous um, parents, parents of white children, um, pointed out, um, this this flies in the face of all the data, um, which shows that actually um, it's it's white working class boys who are falling behind. Um, uh, in fact, white pupils in general uh, are faring worse than black pupils. So figures from the DfE um, uh, show that in England last year, 62% of black African pupils met the expected standard in key stage two reading, writing and maths compared to just 58% of white British people pu pupils. Um, so um, just uh, extraordinary. And this was one of many stories to come out of a report published by Don't Divide Us, uh, an educational campaign group that campaign against, you know, woke racism in schools. And this is just a prime example, but numerous other examples emerge too. Yeah, absolutely shocking. Kind of recalls the Brett Weinstein incident, but it's another shocking new version of that. Um, do you want to do Miss Netherlands or should I? I don't know what we agreed on that because we both had that one. Well, I, we, can, we, can, we can both... Well, why don't you start and then I'll add something. Well, basically, Miss Netherlands is a bloke. I mean, that's, that's about it. Miss Netherlands has been won by a man and then the runner-up's like a beautiful woman who can merely get second now. And this is a new thing that you can't, of course, have women in female beauty contests, Toby, because that's inherently transphobic. I have no idea. I mean, this is just beyond clown world, beyond peak woke. What can you really say? I mean, I'm, I'm speechless. And did you see the story, though, about um, who effectively authorized trans women to compete in the Miss Universe contest? No. Well, Miss Universe used to be co-owned by Donald Trump, but in 2018, it was discovered that one of the contestants was, in fact, um, a man who had transitioned. And um, Trump was asked about it, and he said, as far as he was concerned, it was fine, let the chips fall where they may. Um, he praised this trans woman um, for being enterprising enough to um, uh, get as far as he had um, uh, without without being without being rumbled and uh, and and allowed allowed him um, to continue to compete in the Miss Universe contest. So your man <laughs> um, wow. uh, was responsible for this uh, 
Classic uh, policy change. Socially liberal Trump, you see, he's all about the free market. So there, it was a different world, but he, he has always been very socially liberal. It, that just makes it even more amusing that they all hate him so much when he's a total lib. And actually, I do remember that. Told you, the, the way the person got found out, the contestant was that um, he stood up to use the urinal, and that was <laughs> that's not <laughs> oh true, but that's just a little callback. Rookie error. <laughs> um, so, and there's one more here, Toby, that was particularly ridiculous. There was a Twitter one. From this guy, Jay Perkins, I think his real name's Jonathan, but he had this bizarre tweet and it was a picture of a gathering. It seemed to have Jennifer Aniston at it and, and Courtney Cox. And, and he said, serious question for well-meaning white people. When you show up at a get-together like this, do you notice there are zero black people or nah? If so, do you say or do anything about it? To who? Please be honest, this is a safe space unless you say something dumb or racist. Uh, which is just sort of a cover for like, if anyone hates his awful point. Someone responded privately as well and said, since I never post publicly, I respond privately. I personally call it out whenever I'm at a function with no black folks. It makes me feel uncomfortable. I'm white. However, almost if not all other white folks I know do not do this. I do it comfortably now. I mean, it, it goes on and on. We don't have time. What is wrong with these people, Toby? <laughs> I don't know. It's absolutely it's mental like, and pathetic. Uh, what, what, you know, what, what happened to being colorblind? What, what's going? I mean, it shows how kind of racialized the kind of you know university graduates have become, having been through these woke madrasas. They look at a crowd of happy people enjoying you know a wedding or a lunch together, and the only thing they can think of is, my God, why aren't there more black people here? Why are they all white? It's like you know, see the world through a different lens. You know, stop reducing everything to race. It's just you're never. It's going to make yeah. you unhappy and everyone around you unhappy. And you have to have quotas in your friendship groups and say, so you can't come around for dinner. It's you know, I've, I've already, I've, I've got too many white people already. We've got the quotas perfect. And and it, imagine having to do that. It's just, I mean, how would it even work? It's such an American obsession as well that's that's infiltrated us as well. I think this guy is American, but yeah, absolute madness. I was going to say one more thing about it. I can't remember. Oh, well, I mean, I don't know. Oh, yeah. And if you said, oh, well, some of my best friends are black or something, that would also be called racist. So you can't say that, right? Some people point that out, but you also can't have it all. I don't know. And, and presumably, if you if you invited some black or Asian people um, who weren't um, hard left zealots, then, you know, it would just be a bunch of white people with a bunch of coconuts. So they, they wouldn't count. Right, right. Yeah, because they, they've got internalized whiteness. They're fully white That's supremacists. It. They've been, <laughs> They've yeah, they're, they're, white they're certainly white supremacy adjacent. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so uh, as you say, it was a cornucopia of Pete Woke stories this week. But I'm going to go with um, uh, for my second one. Um, uh, I don't know if you saw this, but um, uh, the Labour-run York Council um, has just published a report um, uh, revealing that the city of York, which Labour had been running for decades, is a cesspit of systemic racism. Um, and they need to now invest even more money in things like, you know, um, uh, unconscious bias training, anti-racism courses in schools and all the rest of it. They need to give even more money to their kind of diversity trainer, best pals, um, all of whom are white, needless to say. Um, but um, uh, it's extraordinary that they can kind of issue this report effectively saying, you know, um, under our watch, York has descended into a kind of hot 
bed of systemic racism. It's like, well, why don't you resign then? Instead of just doubling down on all this rubbish you've been spunking away ratepayers money on, why don't you just resign, make way for another party if you yeah. think you've done such a bad job of achieving your objectives? And and of course, it, it, it created an opening for the Mail to run a very amusing piece in which they interviewed various people of color in the city of York. He said, actually, you know, back where I come from, there was real racism. But um, here, it's, it's, like a, it's like a utopia. You know, I've never encountered less racism in my life. Everyone's incredibly friendly. I've set up a business. The bank loaned me the money. My kids are enjoying being at school. They've never experienced any racist bullying in the playground. I, they just don't recognize the city in this report. Yeah, I, I, I lived in New York. The idea of it as a racist cesspit, that doesn't ring true at all. It's more, more like a sort of Playmobil town, a sort of, like you say, it's a weird sort of fake toy place that all seems incredibly pleasant. At least it was when I was there. Yeah, completely ridiculous. Yeah, and it's like the police when they said they were systemically racist or the Church of England institutionally racist. Like, well, well what, yeah, or you should all resign. Um, do we have time for the Jack White one as well? Well, basically Jack White. Yeah, let's do it. I've, I've managed to negotiate a few more minutes. So okay. yeah, go for it. Well, Jack White from the White Stripes said, anyone who normalizes or treats this, he was talking about a picture of Trump on his Instagram. Anyone who normalizes or treats this disgusting, fascist, racist, con man, disgusting piece of shit Trump with any level of respect is also disgusting in my book. That's you, Joe Rogan, you, Mel Gibson, you, Mark Wahlberg, you, Guy Fieri. This is a statement for me, not a discussion slash debate, Jack White. It's like, the, the petulant, low IQ conformism of, of rock stars. I mean, it's just classic rock star now. That's, that's, maybe that's who they always were, but it's certainly who they are now. And it's just pathetic, standard Trump derangement syndrome lameness. Yeah, Jack White. And to think I once liked him. Yeah. No, I never liked yeah. him. I win. Um, <laughs> any more, Toby? Or should I do a, a quick review? Let's, do the, let's go for a couple of reviews. Because you've got to go. So someone says, wonderful podcasting. How about that? Five stars. An excellent podcast. Giving, giving an oversight of the craziness of society, uplifting to know there are others out there feeling the same way. God bless you, Nick Dixon and Toby Young. That's a good one, isn't it? God bless you too. Thank you so much. That's Alan GCW. So you don't get much better than that. This one annoyed me. It gives it five stars. Very good listen in the gym or the car. Sometimes gets to two hours, but the content is always insightful and relevant. Good so far. Nick, you riff it sometimes by reading out Twitter exchanges that have already happened. But in general, this is a pod that keeps me and clearly countless others grounded as we sometimes feel the walls closing in. Oh, has it go at you as well? Toby, you can't claim to be a Star Wars fan if you get confused between C-3PO and C- C-3PO or CP-3. I'm not <laughs> C-3PO. I'm, 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 re- I'm reading it the same way twice because I'm so conditioned. C-P-3O and C-3PO. Yeah, there you go. That's like being a Harry Potter fan and forgetting the Scarface kid wizard's name. Whatever. I mean, look. Good review still, but the idea that I'm criticized for riffing it by reading out, what am I supposed to, Twitter exchanges that have already happened. As I said at the start, I'll only read ones that haven't happened from now on and we'll start predicting the future in the podcast. Very hard to keep podcast listeners happy. I'm quite annoyed because I got two really awful ones on my other podcast, even though I've got a 4.9 average and I'm sort of displacing some of my anger from that. But um, anyway, we've got loads of good reviews, Toby. And uh, thank you so much for those. Anything to add before you go, Toby? Well, I, 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 someone gave me, um, someone passed on a good review, just, you know, someone I know. So they were listening to the podcast and, and they were listening to it, I think, um, on the tube and, um, and they were f- embarrassing themselves by falling about laughing because during our bit about, um, the reality show in which the kind of, you have one team of men trained up by Caitlin Moran and another team <laughs> trained up by Andrew Tate. <laughs> That was one of the best bits. And I actually tweeted a version of that and it was retweeted by the top G himself, Toby. Oh, 
Well, we we should actually get a we should we should, we should get the clip and stick that out on Twitter. It was a funny bit. Yeah, we should. And, and sorry if there weren't as many funny bits this week, guys. I'll take full responsibility. I've been really struggling. Not only did I have this sickness, I didn't sleep all of Saturday night because of it, and then I didn't sleep again because of shoulder pain, which just comes sometimes. So I bet. And again last night, I had stomach pain and couldn't sleep. So it's been kind of horrific. I haven't eaten, I haven't slept, but I've still delivered the podcast, albeit a day late. But. Thank you for your continued listening. Go on, Toby. Yeah, well done, Nick. You're a trooper. Um, and you stuck to your guns about not missing a week. And I'm going to be in Mallorca on my family holiday next week. But I'm, I, I'll be there on Tuesday, Wednesday, if necessary, to record the podcast. Okay. So thanks, everyone. Hopefully, I'll be feeling better next week. And the podcast will be back to its usual energy levels. But hopefully, it was still pretty good. And um, thank you for your support. Please leave five-star reviews with absolutely no even mild criticisms because I'll be very, very upset. And until next week, stay skeptical. Stay skeptical. Stay skeptical.